This is Darian speaking. Hey, Darian. I uh, I don't really have a story today, but I do. I have a non-story. I have a thing that I feel like should be a story, but uh, for some reason, it's not a story. And I'm I'm actually more interested in in why there's not a story here um, to to give you the sort of a negative image of this, which is uh, there, there was this big Equifax thing, right? Right. Some 150 million something something people, uh, th this information was stolen. And it strikes me from everything I've heard about the fallout or the sort of uh, the bells that are sounding about uh, personal security and information and how it circulates and what was lost and how serious this is that should there should be a chalk outline somewhere there should be a body there should be a story here about specifically for a human how this is bad not just kind of corporate malfeasance or incompetence and i thought but i haven't found that and i sort of came to you thinking what is it what's the story here this is darian bates this is toby wilson bates and this is the stories we tell our robots. The podcast where we talk about how we make our technology. And how our technology makes us. All right, Toby. Great to hear you again. Another, another week in. Um, before we go into your question about all right, well, what is the story with the uh, credit hacks? Um, first, just a couple, a little housekeeping on our last one. First of all, this is our second podcast. Um, maybe if you if you listen to our first, we're we're trying a couple different things. One of which I'm, uh, I'm my hookup is different, um, and so hopefully our sound will be a little bit better. But also just a couple uh, fact checking things. We try to do our own fact checking here, and um, uh, one of the points that I made in our last last week's podcast about. Um, um, dynamic pricing on airline tickets, uh, I brought up a point about uh, the champagne they serve in first class and saying that the the quality of the champagne was irrelevant. Uh, the fact of the champagne was the point. Um, and actually, that's not totally true. Um, I, I would say I'm like 30% right, 70% wrong in that there is actually a, a fairly um, significant ongoing effort for, for airline companies to, to um, trumpet how nice their champagne is. And this is around specific airline companies. I think United Air Emirates, I think is one that really tries to really tries to sell high on the on the quality of their champagne. So not all not all first class is good champagne, but nonetheless. And I'd so. also like to fact check myself. Uh, I was accidentally more right than I realized I was. Um, I said that something like four presidents had been shot. In fact, four presidents have been shot and killed. Uh, six presidents have been shot, uh, which which a significant number. There have been 30 assassination attempts on on presidents. Obviously, four of them successful, two of them uh, failed. Teddy Roosevelt amusingly was shot in the rib and gave the rest of a stump speech with a bullet wedged in his rib. <laughs> that is like that is that is classic Teddy Roosevelt if you know him. This is such a good idea, guys. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, this is gonna work. I feel great classic, about it. Classic Roosevelt. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so uh, all right. 
house cleaning out of the way. So, so to your question, and um, so the question I'm hearing, and I, I might even want to phrase it back to you a little bit, is you're asking like, where's the where's the body on this? And some people might say, well, if you're looking for the dead body on the Equifax scandal, it might be Equifax. Although, boom, <laughs> boom. Um, but actually, um, actually, the interesting thing is the degree to which Equifax is not a dead body out of this. And maybe I can maybe phrase your question a little bit, uh, a little bit differently, and say. Um, we have one of the worst data breaches in history with an organization that is collecting massive amounts of, you know, PII, publicly or um, personally identifiable information, which is the kind of the legal term here, and massive data breach from this organization that kind of just owns all this information, sells this information, um, and all the conversations that most kind of mainstream commentators and all the congressional testimony and all that isn't about whether Equifax should exist. It's about how they can just be a little bit more secure, how, why they, how they mess this up. Um, there isn't like whether these, these organizations should even be a part of the fabric of our society, given the degree of sensitive information that they hold on us. Um, and that, and so the, the, the lack of that story, the lack of that conversation at all, I mean, I, maybe I'm I'm twisting your your question a little bit, but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty twisted. And and maybe part of what I need to get is uh, these things seem relatively common. Uh, the IRS was hacked. Mm -hmm. Yahoo was super hacked. Target was hacked a couple of years ago. It's happened to various universities and this sort of thing. Uh, maybe the particular thing here has to do with the identity of what Equifax is. I mean, this is this is one of these modern corporate names that essentially means nothing. It's, it hmm. seems like there's a kind of art to this. Um, right. What is a credit bureau? All right. Well, uh, let me uh, let me start off by well, let's jump right into uh, the download. So let me start by talking about like what is a credit bureau, and if and if you've been been reading or listening at all, you probably have some of this information already. But I'm I'm going to talk about the credit bureaus and kind of this idea about the past, the present, and the future of credit bureaus. Um, so the, the Credit Bureau originally came about when, you know, local stores, and there's a great um, article, or there's a great kind of, um, kind of NPR uh, piece that the, the, the reporters from Planet Money did, Robert Smith and Kenny Malone, um, did a nice kind of piece on this, um, where they go through and they talk about just kind of how this originated. But basically, it's, it, it used to be that local stores would keep credit on you. So you, the local hardware store, they knew you. Hey, Toby, great to see you. And it's like, oh man, I forgot my wallet. Or hey, I'm going to be, I, I, I'm still waiting for the cabbage harvest to come in. Um, <laughs> can I? I'm a cabbage farmer. <laughs> yeah, well, I, when you're talking about the 1800s, I thought there were three jobs. I thought cabbage farmer was one of them. And so stores would generally keep, keep kind of a record of you. Oh yeah, he's trustworthy. We've never heard of him before. We know that he doesn't pay his bills. And and that's how they that's how they would kind of like lend you give you something on credit that was very locally managed. And then in 1869, Herman and Conrad Seltz, who there's very little information about them in history, but we know their names and they know that they did this, which they would go store by store and and pull together, kind of consolidate all these individual stores, kind of credit reports on people and kind of pull them together into a larger kind of citywide or, or region-wide report, and really citywide, and this is um, New York, just to ground you in location. And then um, and that then that could be used by some by another 
organization that's like, well, I, I'm starting up or I, I, I have never seen this person before, but they, you know, I, I can now look through this report and see that, yeah, they're, they're dependable over there at the hardware store. They're dependable over there at the grocery store. So yeah, I, I can, I can, I can let them walk out of my store carrying the product without, you know, cash in hand. So that's how this whole thing started up. And then those got bigger and really computers um, allowed for, because there were thousands of these bureaus across the country. They're very regionalized. They were very um, specific to kind of that, that local economy. And then as computers got, you know, much more powerful and became, and the, the whole system started getting nationalized. And we really now have three uh, bureaus now who are the major bureaus. And um, that is Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. But and, and just to make clear, though, this isn't like the Federal Bureau of Investigation. This is you said nationalized, but this is not part of the government. That's a good point of a national scale. They are, in fact, and this is actually a, a sensitive point a little bit and an interesting point And one that becomes very relevant in this discussion, which is they actually are not governmental entities. They are they are private companies um, or they are technically public companies um, in that you can buy stock in them, but they are they are, in fact, not. Um, part of any government. And uh, so, so that was the past. <clears throat> so where it exists now is, you know, credit, credit reporting is increasingly kind of everywhere. I mean, there's actually a, um, there's a nice breakdown of, of kind of what credit reports are now allowed to be used for. And, and this really comes from the Fair Credit and Reporting Act that kind of establishes these are the, these are the okay ways of using uh, uh, credit. Uh, a credit report, and I think what's really interesting about this is if you if you kind of squint a little bit, you realize there isn't a whole lot more in life other than the things that are kind of encapsulated inside this uh, <laughs> these these like appropriate uses of credit. Right. So like art, religion, love, and then credit. Well, important things. I mean, um, <laughs> so these things are uh, they can be used for applications for credit uh, for credit cards. Um, or loans, uh, insurance, uh, rentals, um, employment, if you're looking for a job, uh, court orders, including grand jury summons, um, legitimate business needs, which is kind of very vague, like, but legitimate business needs in transactions. So maybe you're buying a mattress and they're, they're checking your credit on that. Um, right, like something that could potentially be taxed. Right, exactly. Uh, uh, account review, where banks want to look at your um, recent history. Uh, licensing, if you're, there's a lot of jobs that require licensing, and they can look at your credit report in that. And then um, child support payments and uh, law enforcement. So if you really kind of throw that whole list together and you say, what falls outside that, really? And in, in, in many cases, again, God, love, I mean, or at least online dating still falls outside that um, <laughs> for now. Um, but really, that's that's what credit reports are now used for. Uh, that kind of makes me think uh, a bit about the one of the grand trends, if not the grand trend uh, of the 19th century. Well, I mean, really, the last several centuries, as spurred by industrialization, which is, you know, the movement from rural communities to urban communities. You know, if, if we think about forms of trust and, and credibility, necessarily, when you move from a rural model where communities tend to stay relatively homogenous over time and people could know your father and grandfather and urban models where there's kind of constant immigration and emigration and sort of in uh, various various linguistic and uh, national communities sort of mixing constantly 
you you need to have a different apparatus for credibility because it's not like because your grandfather is credible you will also be credible this kind of thing absolutely and well let me take let me let me finish up the download here just taking us about talking about the future a little bit and i think this is really where why this is part of this podcast not about a um kind of a wall street regulation podcast because the 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 current state of where credit is if we think that credit is kind of kind of embedded a little bit a little bit too deeply in our society we haven't seen anything yet um the kind of the world of if you imagine so just kind of citing what you're citing right there in terms of um in a world where all right so you're going from somebody who knows your grandfather to maybe they don't know you but they can still look across the table at you right now and they can still they still could ostensibly kind of meet you, um, you know, call somebody else up, have a conversation about you, perhaps maybe check your references and still going to get a sense of whether you're a decent guy or not. Um, in the world of in the world of the robots in the future, robots aren't robots aren't calling your references, or at least not yet, at least not in the next 10 years, they might be maybe for, for, at some point, maybe they will. Um, and in that world, your credit scores goes from being something that is an important variable about you to maybe being one of the defining factors about you. Um, and if you think about all those different things that I just talked about in terms of you know, credit, insurance, rental, all those things, those things are now being turned into, into apps, into software, into, into automated systems and automated businesses. And there's rental.com, there's, there's health insurance marketplaces, there's Rocket Mortgage, like all those things are now online applications that an online decision-making apparatus apparati um, that that are relying heavily upon your credit report and this, the scoring that they do with your credit report. Well, um, although, although it, it's worth, I feel like we're we're skipping a middle term here. Sure. But that seems really significant in how credibility operates between rural models of community knowledge and and urban models of sort of industrial robotic modeling or whatever. Sure. Um, which is stereotyping, right? Because you, you right. talked about sitting at the table and looking across the table and getting a sense of how credible someone is. But for most of modern history, uh, certainly during industrialization, that depended on, yeah, like what color of skin were you? What gender were you? What age were you? What did your accent sound like? That the ways that people triangulated your credibility was, was directly marked by these things. And, and it's worth noting that in a number of troubling cases, uh, things like racial bias show up algorithmically in the artificial intelligences programmed by people who are unaware of their own biases. Right. Um, which is troubling for this future if what we're moving from is an across the table thing to a sort of algorithmic model of rating your credibility. Right. Although I think there's something really important to point out about those kind of the, the inherent biases. It's almost like the way the human brain does some of this kind of credit scoring automatically using this kind of really rich data of, per, of human experience, right? Like one of the things that you talk about, um, there's two kind of words in data sometimes is there's big data and thick data. And big data is the idea there's a lot of categorical data or there's a lot of data that's coming in, but it tends to be kind of, um, Kind of it's fairly it's fairly thin in terms of you know male or female is a fairly thin piece of uh information about somebody when you really think about it you can meet somebody and and we've you know we've done this in language right you might say you might know male or female but by the time you meet them you know what kind of male and that's really thick right like that's kind of oh that kind of man that kind of woman got it 
Um, and that's thick data. And so human beings have been doing that constantly. And the more, the more, the less we know about somebody's, you know, upbringing because we don't know their grandfather, we start filling in that kind of, kind of those, those, um, kind of stereotyped analyses that are actually really sophisticated ways, um, but that are also really susceptible to bias, as you're saying. So, but just to kind of finish up the download here on that, that's, that's really where we are in terms of credit. It's, it's not, it's no longer a financial thing. It is based upon your financial background, but we're going to the world where credit is starting to become and, and, and your credit report and your credit history is starting to become an instrumental element in the in the robot future. Hmm. hmm. Let me let me pitch a story model then, and we can talk about this in binary expression. Uh, maybe Thomas Hardy's Return of the Native, uh, which is uh, a depressing, as all of no Hardy's novels are, uh, story <laughs> about someone in the rural countryside. This guy Clement Clem Eubright, who goes off to Paris and has a, a successful career in business and then decides to come back to where he's from you know so he he goes off he changes his identity he does this thing that is part of the mythos of going to the urban landscape of like business can flourish there and he escapes all the confinement and sort of claustrophobia of being in this rural landscape where everyone knows every hair of everyone's head and then he gets sick of the urban space and then he comes back but the it's not the same and he's not the same and he can't he can't return to this place and is that what's going have, have we have we kind of crossed a rubicon somewhere with how credit operates and with how identity operates that i mean it's interesting it's, it's almost like you're, i feel like you're kind of saying two different things at the same time not in a not in a not, not, not that you don't have integrity to your idea but you're saying on the one hand you, you, when you talk about um oh when you're talking about thomas hardy there um you know, you're talking about this idea of him leaving the country where he's known and going to the city. And in some ways, we're, you know, if you if you think about it from a, a as a social um, allegory, we've kind of left this rural space and have gone into the city space where we can be a bit more kind of independent of this of this past. And and in many ways, the credit systems have allowed us to do that. Uh, at the same time, you seem to be suggesting that maybe the credit systems are actually not allowing us to do that. That in fact, you know, if if Thomas Hardy's protagonist and and who I, I don't know, if, remember the name you just said, Clint, Clint, Clint. 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 Oh. Thomas Hardy. He's famous for like he 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 take making these rural English traditional names, and he'd like he'd put them in there, say like Thomason or Diggory. Ah. Gotcha. Well, so, you know, maybe it is the fact that Clem, if he had had a credit report, would have gone to the city and they would have been like, well, you're, 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 you're rural and your, your, your father's background was this and your grandfather's background was this. And, and it doesn't look like you had much of a, much of a history of paying for your cabbage seed. And, <laughs> and, and it may be that like he, he isn't able to reinvent himself. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost feels like we're kind of having both of those conversations at the same time. Yeah, which, which maybe is why this is confusing, that right. we're, we're sort of talking about opening something, but it also seems to be closing something. That is a really interesting point. And I think that's, that may be why. So, you know, just to give people a, a, a little background into our process, we tend to have these conversations before we decide to record a podcast on this. Um, not that this is staged. 
But um, <laughs> I mean, one of the things, the interesting things about it is that I feel like we end up, you end up, when you're talking about credit, you find yourself suddenly arguing against yourself halfway through a conversation. And I feel like that's happened a couple different times for me and I think for you, where they're like, well, this really gives us the, the flexibility, the ability for, for credit to help us overcome maybe some, some innate bias that people might have by, you know, by just looking at you and saying, well, I, I don't like the color of your skin, um, is in fact the same thing. It may in fact be, be reinstilling that bias at another level at the same time. You know, the fact that you haven't, the fact that you're in a community where, you know, that doesn't pay its debt or that you have friends online and so that you're maybe you're, you're having a social credit algorithm that's, that Facebook, for example, now has patented is the ability to, to affect your credit by the credit of your friends, um, which is um, terrifying in its own right, um, talking about creating social bubbles. The, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it incentivizes, you know, in the way that in, it, people, people, when people critique social media, they talk about, you know, echo chambers, you know, academic right. closure and this sort of thing. It, it actually incentivizes that, you know, don't, don't befriend people who are not part of this kind of upswelling of good credit or it, it, it seems like a version of the um, neighborhood association trying to keep undesirables out of the neighborhood and uh, establishing de facto segregation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, I think that's really at the, the tension here. And I, you know, it, I think one of the, one of the things that's really interesting to me about kind of your question about this debate about um all right, so we've had this terrible, this terrible hack. We're not entirely sure what the fallout on it is going to be yet, but it's, but so far, at least the fallout at first is just, is just massive anxiety about, about the data that, the data that's being collected on people. And that was something I was really hung up on in our conversation, this sort of, uh, can we pose the question about whether we should even have this kind of bureau that, that aggregates data in this way that determines our identity. And as you said earlier, determines all these things from whether we can do mortgages or rentals or loans or these things that are so, uh, so significant in modern education and professionalism that I was hung up on, should this even exist? And at no point up to now in the podcast have I brought that up. Right. <laughs> that it is, right. it's, so, it's so intuitive in a way that this exists that even somebody paranoid of its existence can lose sight of that question. Exactly. And there's some way in which, and the, the, there's almost a feeling of inevitability about this system. Um, and I f actually feel like there's a useful exception that proves this rule, which is, you know, a couple of years ago, about 18 months ago, um, we, the BBC put out this report or a kind of, Announced this, and now it's been it's been picked up. It's been covered in various ways for a little bit. Which is that in China, China's has this. Um, their plan is to build an omnipotent social credit system. I, and actually, I think I'm actually reading this um, report here, and I think they actually probably meant omniscient social credit system would be <laughs> more more accurate. I think, um, but an omniscient. I'm going to substitute that word social credit system that is meant to rate each citizen's trustworthiness. And a, a local kind of a planning document from, from China's elite state council have this quote, 
it will uh, for, quote forge a public opinion environment that trust keeping is glorious unquote and then the kind of follow that up with a uh, the new system will reward those who report acts of breach of trust so um, you know when we and the re the reaction to to that particular news story and that particular plan from China I think is pretty pre you know pretty predictable right like I mean you can just imagine what I we don't even need to go to Fox News to imagine the uh, the kind of outcry over that uh, I think it happens across the political spectrum right right that there is there's a sort of big brother figure who is is going to sort of incentivize disincentivize punish and reward acting in, in relation to a, a central ideological premise exactly exactly and in fact i think there was a, a cnn um kind of in the in covering this kind of story there's a there's a really interesting um cnn quote um that i think is really interesting i mean i think the 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 response is really interesting where this person was saying was basically trying to figure out why they were okay with that and not okay you know why they're okay with kind of the credit system in the u.s and not okay with that and the quote was um well, this system sounds like a dystopia because we can easily imagine how the Chinese government can use a system like this to enforce conformity and stifle dissent. Our own system seems safer because we don't believe the corporations and governments that run them are malevolent. And so the ultimately, it, it really comes down to a far thinner um, difference between those two approaches. One is essentially a, a business that is doing this um, Kind of in a in a, in a for-profit method and the other is a is a government that you could make the case is doing it on behalf of its all its citizens to you know kind of provide security and and trustworthiness for all its citizens you know so they can they can provide credit between all its citizens um why is from a story perspective why do we have two different reactions to that yeah wow man well one i i honestly don't know nearly enough about Chinese history, culture, you know, in contemporary society to venture anything like a guess uh, about that in, in that context. But it, it does strike me that maybe a, an important key is that I do think that the question needs to be asked at that nexus of cultural, historical, national context, and not at the level of, you know, sort of military oppression or, you know, right. sort of computational efficacy, right? That that this has so much to do with how people define themselves inside those social contracts. I, I do think that how this, this seems to operate differently in the States is that, and, and maybe this goes back to the beginning when I was saying, it's it's interesting to me that the fallout in the sort of circles of information I listen to, places like Marketplace Tech, um, seems to be, okay, we'll double down, learn how to freeze your account, check this information, yep. monitor your credit, change your passwords. Right, watch play, out play, play by the rules of the system. Get better at using the system is the essential. Yeah, it, it sort of doubles down on, on your personal responsibility in the face of a kind of institutional collapse. And, and, and I, I don't mean this to sound really gauche, um, but it, it strikes me as the equivalent of if if there's a mass shooting, you should go out and buy a better gun, you know? Right. right. I mean, in some ways, I, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why that's a problematic um, comparison. 
but nonetheless, I mean, your the main point is 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 the system just 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 kind of went haywire. So get so yeah, improve the system, right? It's not it's it's not like the system could get. Um, you know, we we really need to question whether the system is the right system, and yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think that's right, and I think I'm going to pose that question again and see if I can really give you some something to work with there, which is, um, why why are we afraid of a nationalized system of checking our you know kind of checking our credibility of managing our trustworthiness, and yet we are we are appear to be fairly fairly we are ambivalent but willing to willing to double down on the continuation of a system that does that under private enterprise i would say for me i think it has so much to do with cultural understandings of difference and sameness um insofar as kind of hypothetically baked into the crust of this national contract of uh, Americanism is uh, a sort of accepting necessary difference. And this has, you know, the way we organize our states, the kind of ongoing conversation between the state and the federal levels of control, uh, sort of racial, complex racial demographics of our country as being uh, very distinct from a country like China, um, which might be quite complex in terms of various ethnicities, but I think the discourse uh, often steers towards a, a kind of singular national racial identity. Um, when you say Chinese, at least in this country's context, you don't necessarily think of a range of various ethnicities. When you say American, you might think of a, a broad range of national, ethnic, and racial backgrounds um, as a sort of essential component. And mm-hmm. all, of the, all of that difference, I think, comes packaged with different forms of trust and credibility not just in the form, uh, the sort of toxic form of stereotypes that group different communities, but those communities themselves have different ways of thinking about trust keeping and trust and mm-hmm. how their identities circulate and how they judge each other uh, and themselves and communities outside of themselves. You know, who's employable, who's worthy, who's good, who, you know, who leaves and who comes back, who is a stranger, who is familiar. And that I, I think trust and identity are, are, are wrapped up in these things. I think it's scary, this idea of being sort of reduced to some national rubric of trust that mm-hmm. judges you outside of the infinite local contexts that, that form otherwise. Um, I don't know. That'd be my best guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that's I, I, I feel like it's it's almost unknowable in some ways. I'm interested as much in kind of like the stories that kind of got us there as a society where we are because because it, I mean, in some ways, what you're describing is kind of the whole American concept of what is it? Federalism, the idea of this, you know, you're actually not. It's not a, 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 a centralization totally of of power and responsibility. It's, there's always these kinds of states rights conversations um, and I'm, I'm using states rights in, in the literal term in terms of the rights that the states hold not so much I know the states rights has had various um, yeah. kind of like, dog whistly okay. meanings at different times and really just the idea that that anything that isn't assigned to the federal government is a responsibility of the states is very much a, the, the de facto is the state's rights to take to oversee themselves 
In, in my research across a number of cultural institutions, things like the education system, what comes up over and over and over again is that these systems are actually extremely disparate. I mean, and a great litmus test of this is the uh, problematic, interrupted, sometimes totally falling apart successes and failures, uh, seems maybe trending towards failures of the Common Core Curriculum Project. Uh, the Common Core Curriculum, gotcha. Of the education system in general, gotcha. Sorry, I was trying to figure like, out what these systems were. That, like, Institutions in this country is, strike me as, as often being extremely, extremely, extremely heterodox, and the idea of some define heterodox for our for our listeners and me. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> you want to you, you want to send your six year old to school. Um, there's maybe the relatively simple metric of okay, uh, I'll send you to the school in the district that I belong to. Even that school will have specific ways of doing things that are tailored to the district, the county, and the state, uh, if not this particular regime of that principle. And that will be different from other states. It will be different from right. different counties. It will be different from districts. And if there's a private school in your district, that will be different. And if there's a charter school, that will be different. Another public school might do things differently and have a language immersion program or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, have a special ed program or whatever. And then right. there's like homeschooling, which is to say, the thing that you think of as the indoctrination machine of the state, the educational system is not really a system. It's more like a really loose network of vaguely associated actors kind mm -hmm. of spiraling towards taking the SAT at a certain point to measure something. Right. Well, and but, you know, and I think it's worth pointing out that that's I think that we are as a country very comfortable with that um, inefficiency. Yes. Not just comfortable, but uh, yeah, it's 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 where so many parts of this culture uh, imagine that where their identity lies and right. where the sort of strength and and purpose of the community lie. Right, and yet and yet when we look at something like and maybe this is it, maybe this is the fact that even the even in the huge consolidation and the mass consolidation of the of the credit industry. You still have at least have you have at least have three credit bureaus, not one federal government, and maybe that maybe even even as they've consolidated and become bigger, there's something more comforting about small private companies or or even massive private companies, but that are not totally unified. Perhaps I, I'm now speculating outside of my um, areas of knowledge. I think I think the, well, I, as, the as, long, as long as we're speculating, right? Why don't we kick to whether this is the apocalypse or utopia. So, Mr. Um, Rehat, uh, apocalypse is one, or I suppose zero, and utopia is ten. Right. Well, it has to be on a ten-point scale, so zero can't exist. Right. Apocalypse. Well let, well, let me just let me quickly before before I answer where I stand on this. Let me let me let me go back and see if we can continue to define what this uh, what the question really is, which is is the is the growing is the inevitable inevitable is the inevitability or the seeming inevitability of credit not just being at the center of so much of what happens in our culture, but maybe even becoming ever more embedded in these kinds of big. Um, data systems and and 
really interactive responsive systems that treat you the way your credit tells you you should be treated, um, is that moving us towards apocalypse or utopia? Yep. Is that the, uh, um, I think there's, I think there's something very interesting and I want to, I, I want to, you, you mentioned this in another conversation and not here, unfortunately, but I, I wanted to, to just raise something that you said, um, I think it's worth pointing out is that the idea that this decision that credit is going to be at a center of our social structure has been made. This is not up for debate. And if anything, this the re reaction to Equifax is saying that, the, all right, it's there's nobody, there's no mainstream entity with that. There's no senators out there saying we need to do away with these credit bureaus. We need to do away with the system of credit in the United States. And what's really interesting also on that is there other countries are looking to us to figure out how to how to update their credit systems like all these european countries it's very difficult they have two ways of doing credit one of which is the only thing on your credit report is positive notes and others is the only thing on your credit report is negative notes and in both cases it's actually very difficult to get credit in europe oh um, wow that's like uh it's like catch-22 with a you know black eyes or a feather in your hat you, right. you can only do those Things. Right, and and there, despite all our all the ambivalence we have about the system, other people are looking to us for how to how to institute a a credit system in their countries that makes access to credit more available. And so throughout this, throughout and and in some ways we've been very successful at that. Everybody in this country has some level of access to credit. If their credit report is bad, they have to pay for that access, or they pay more for that access, but they but they generally get it. And so it was a point that you made that this is this question's a done deal. If they're not gonna get rid of Equifax after this, if we're not gonna, if we're not gonna really question the bureaus after this, um, there's no questioning them going forward. They're only gonna become more embedded. So it's, it's, a, it's a decision that's been made by our society, right? And so that's, actually, I'm gonna start my point about this in, in whether this is um, apocalypse or utopia by saying, it's not even a really a we can we can we can play around the edges of what that system ultimately looks like, but it's inevitable. Um, so so any any decision, at least it seems to be. Um, obviously, there's there's all sorts of things that that can be unexpected that can change. But so my my sense of it is. You know, last week when I was talking about the airline tickets and I, I, I started talking and I started at a six and by the time I finished making my point, I was really, I was up there near a seven. Um, I, if I talk about this too much, I'm probably gonna end up at a five, but I'm gonna start at a six as well. Um, hopefully this doesn't just make me a right centrist. Um, <laughs> the, ultimately, our, we can't, not only that we can't go backwards, I don't think we want to go backwards. Um, I don't think I I don't think as a human species and not to get kind of that macro about all this as a human <laughs> yeah. but as well yeah, not to do that except I'm going to do that. Yeah, here we um, go. Here we go. <laughs> Deny what I'm doing and then go ahead and do it. Um but I I I think there are huge huge challenges facing the entire human race. And in many ways I find myself frequently when we're talking about progress I find myself following this logical extreme of what are we really trying to achieve until I get to this point of, 
Well, it's all meaningless unless we're talking about this, you know, kind of extending the survival of the human race beyond um, a, a global cataclysm or beyond an extinction level event. And and how to overcome these these inevitable limitations at some point, a meteor is going to hit the earth again. Right. Like these kinds of these kinds of questions go through my head. And so I say progress is valuable because it it continues to help our civilization to work at bigger and more complex levels and more powerful levels, which we've shown, right? Like from the beginning, we started rate, you know, growing grain to, and, to now, and cabbages. Yeah. And cabbages. Uh, we've become, and we've become more capable of working macro, almost like a macro organism. And I think that, I think that as problematic as it is, I think our credit system, I think gets us, abandoning that or the fact that it's happening while it's hugely problematic, while there needs to be a massive amount of work that to be done to really make sure that it is it is steering society in to, towards the a direction that is healthiest for everybody and that is best for everybody. Um, and I know that sounds very Pollyanna-ish for me to think that's how it's going to be done. I still think it's the only way that we we continue to advance as a as a society. And I and so I'm going to I'm going to give it a six, but with with real reservation about um, just the execution. Conceptually, it's a six execution. Uh, that's different. <laughs> yeah, didn't 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 land land the triple jump on this yeah. one. <laughs> exactly. Equifax really fell down on that. Right, exactly. But have they stuck the landing? They uh, right. Boy, um, did they not stick that landing. Uh, I, I'm going to say I'm going to say a three. And I could use, I could be persuaded to a two. And <laughs> I'm going to use a, a thinker who I kind of disagree with, but I think it posited uh, an interesting point. And one of the points that's worth thinking about with the advances of industrialism in modern society, which is this guy, uh, Evan Burke. Uh, so he, he writes a thing called the reflections on the revolution in France. And essentially what it is, he was this politician in England. He was sort of the leading luminary uh, of the period. And uh, Burke said, Burke was the proponent of the American Revolution. He was like, great, great. We shouldn't be ruling them. They're on the other side of a big ocean. They are, you know, I mean, obviously, given, given who he was at the time, somebody in British Parliament, he's like, great, great. Other rich white people running a nation. This is great. They can be a sister nation to us. There's no reason for us to have to expend governance over this body that we are, are not even connected to as a landmass. Um, and there seem like the, there, there doesn't seem to be much of an upside towards being in conflict with them. And so the French Revolution came along and a revolutionary wrote him and was like, hey, and now you can support the French Revolution. It's like the American Revolution, but French, you know, we have baguettes and stuff. <laughs> and he was like, whoa, whoa. Like, not only does he say no, he writes this 200 plus page responding letter. <laughs> about why he was not into the French Revolution, this uh, the revolution centered around rationalism and, you know, kind of modern thought. And he said, you know, society is already trending towards the things that you want. Like the monarchies across the world are already becoming less meaningful. Politici politics are already starting to operate on these sort of rational economic principles. We don't need to have a reign of terror to do this. We don't need to destroy all these old institutions and behead all these people, uh, I think someone, some despot is probably going to take over this movement and it's going to be really dangerous for everyone. Um, and it's worth saying, he said this before Napoleon shows up on the scene. Hmm. 
Now, uh, I disagree with him more broadly because he extends his arguments very conservatively to be against kind of revolution almost in general. But what I would say, the seed that's I think really useful in his argument is this thing where it's like, when you redefine the terms for everything about what a human is or what culture is or what rationalism is, it's a, it's a very sensitive moment. Um, and if you do it wrong, you can end up doing things like perpetrating genocide or establishing systems of, of horrifying damage, of a horrifying racial and ethnic discrimination buried deep in some, in some al algorithmic program. And it, if I felt at all confident in institutions like Equifax that are the, the purveyors and determiners of the data that seems set on describing our future identities, things like, can you be a professional? Can you, you know, get a mortgage? Can you get an education or a profession or even live in a home in a certain area? Um, if I trusted those institutions, I think I'd feel at least, you know, tentatively optimistic. These institutions seem geared almost explicitly to do a really damaging version of this, um, a version that seems inclined to reinforce a lot of the worst tendencies already present in society rather than ameliorate them. Um, so I'll say a th that's, a, that's a three for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a 10 minute three. Yeah, um, wait, wait until you see a one, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll just we'll start with the apocalypse utopia at the beginning of the podcast. Um, <laughs> all right. I mean, I, I think we'll we'll probably. I feel like we can continue to to go at this in a weird way because it's. I mean, and this is going to be with us for a long time because it doesn't seem like anybody's going to do anything to. Hey, to how about uh, how about we keep doing a podcast? Exactly. We might. It looks like we won't run out of material. Um, so look forward to next week when we are, um, from what I understand, to, to tease it, I believe we are looking into to Facebook's uh, targeting algorithm. And we'll, yeah, we'll get I'm, more into I'm that. Not opposed to grabbing the, the clickbait uh, at the moment oh, headline. Absolutely. We are, we, are, we are nothing if not, uh, if not willing to jump on any bandwagon. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I will talk to you then. All right. Talk to you then. Love you. Love you too, ma'am.